0: Welcome to Working for Women, the Independent Women's Forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hey, everyone. I'm Julie Gunlock, director of the Culture of Alarmism Project at the Independent Women's Forum and your host for today's Working for Women podcast. Today, I'm here with Abby Schachter, a mom and Pittsburgh-based writer. She's a regular contributor to the Weekly Standard, Acculturated, The Wall Street Journal, the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, and Reason Magazine, just to name a few. Abby is also the author of a new book called No Child Left Alone, Getting the Government Out of Parenting. She explores the growing problem of government nannies, telling parents what's best for their families, whether it's to allow children to go unchaperoned, to play in the park, to play Pokemon Go, what food they should be feeding their kids, even whether to breastfeed or bottle feed. These are all choices that used to be left to the parent, but not anymore. More and more today, the state regulates our children's safety, hygiene, and health. What's even more troubling is that this trend is having the effect of telling parents that they shouldn't trust their instincts, but instead should hand these pretty basic parenting responsibilities over to the government, because the government knows better thanks so much for joining me today, Abby.
1: Great to be here, Julie.
0: I'm really excited to talk about these issues with you today. As you know, I write about these issues as well. I write about helicopter parenting and sort of the government getting involved in our food choices. So this really resonates with me. And I know that it resonates with a lot of our listeners and people who go to IWF. So you are just an exciting guest for us today. So, First of all, I want to talk to you a little bit about what inspired you to write this book. You write in the intro, first of all, your book is fantastic. I I I read it in about an hour. I'm not kidding you. It was just a page turner. It's fantastic. Thank you. It, it is a series of I loved how you integrated both personal stories and your own stories. You know, I I think uh, you and I know a lot of the scholars who write on this stuff, and so it was interesting to see you reference many of them, people that we know. These were really compelling stories, but then you also dived into the pretty, the nitty-gritty of the policy, which I thought was really important to sort of, you know, have real-life experiences contrasted exactly. with the policies that are, are creating this problem in the first place. So it was. So that's sort of my mini-review um, of the book. I, I, I highly recommend it, of course. Um, but right you write in the, in the introduction to your your experience dealing, dealing with your child's daycare. I want to start off with that because I thought it was really fascinating how you, you know, this is, again, a real lesson in how the regulations put in place by the state often trump parent preferences. So tell us a little bit about your experience.
1: Sure. So... Um, Really, this uh, book came out of both my professional life and my personal life. Um, personally, uh, I uh, started having children in 2007, um, and and uh, we have four kids now, and they've all gone through daycare, state-licensed daycare. We live in Pennsylvania, as you mentioned. And um, initially, the rules that came home um, through the daycare, from the daycare, were really annoying but acceptable I mean it was sort of it raised my consciousness about how much government um, regulations there are uh, that affect really the daycare initially it was mostly annoyances like uh, you have to slather the kids in in um, in sunscreen you know (laughs) sort of regardless of the weather you have to you know cut up fruits and vegetables um, a particular way. And, you know, the list of how you're supposed to prep these fruits and vegetables gets longer. So my husband and I used to joke about how, um, we would sing Peel Me a Grape, uh, as we were preparing lunches. So, you know, when you have fewer kids, you can, you can joke, um, and have time, time for that sort of thing. But then, um, when our fourth uh, child was born, our son, um, He went to daycare at nine weeks of age, and uh, by that time I really had a very low bar of tolerance for these kind of things. And um, I was asked by the daycare operator, so, you know, what do you want us to know uh, about taking care of your son? And I said exactly one thing. I'd like him to be swaddled, wrapped tightly in a blanket, a la, you know, Jesus, um, <laughs> for his naps. Because that's how we, um, we are real uh, believers, I would say. I'm a real proselytizer for Harvey Karp's happiest baby on the block. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we really found that with the other children, um, the way they became really good sleepers, was to be um, to go through the same um, process of going getting to sleep uh, for naps and at bedtime, and that was um, swaddling and the daycare operator looked at me and said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. The state doesn't allow us to swaddle.' And I, that was it for me. I, was sort, of, I sort of hit the roof. Um, what do you mean? How is that possible? What's the problem with swaddling? And I went and looked into this. Um, so the answer is that um, Pennsylvania, in its own defense, didn't actually ban swaddling. They went looking for um, a way of passing rules, uh, safety and hygiene rules for daycare operators. Uh, And instead of doing the more complicated task of actually talking to daycare operators, they went and found a handy dandy little guidebook, little really not so little, um, that was produced by a group out in Denver, uh, Colorado this group has the imprimatur of the Health and Human Services Department because they got a grant to produce these guidelines. And according to these guidelines, which include a whole bunch of rules, um, that uh, the swaddling uh, is not medically necessary. That's the, that's the decision that the um, American Academy of Pediatrics came up with. And mm-hmm. since it's not medically necessary, they don't, They don't advise it in a public um, daycare setting. So, what I found, the result of this work. I mean, I I took my private indignation over (laughs) his not being able to be swaddled, and I went and and I did sort of the, my professional, uh, put my professional hat on, and I did the research, and I found that really this is just one example where daycare is made very expensive. Why is that? Because there are all kinds of rules about um, like uh, like no swaddling that are put on the daycare operators, they include regulations about um, the safety regulations like the placement of hooks, um, you know, how far apart hooks can be, um, because those are OSHA, um, that's a totally separate department of the gov- agency of the department that looks into safety at um, public facilities. Uh, So there are all kinds of rules. Then there are rules about how many uh, ratios between students or, um, you know, the, the, the kids and uh the daycare uh operators or professionals who are running the daycare. Are, these ratios mean that you can only have certain number of professionals um, in the room uh for the for a certain number of children. That means you have to hire more people. These these rules, each of them on top of one another, take time away from actually caring for the kids, and they uh have costs. Um, as a result, uh what I found was that daycare is now Extraordinarily expensive, oh. uh, more so than community college. Let's say you can pay; you're going to pay more for daycare per month. Uh, many families, you know, if they ha- uh, will have to really uh, extend themselves to pay for full time daycare, versus say when they're going to you send their kids to college. If they're going to state college, it may be less to send your kid to a you know semester of college or a year of college than it would be to send them to full time daycare. Um, and so I um and so that's really where I started. Um and I decided that I, w- I like you, I love Lenore Skenazy. I had been reading her blog Free Range Kids. I I really sort of appreciated um all of these stories about parents who were so frustrated because they made a private decision and um a police officer, a principal, a, a nosy neighbor got them in trouble with, um, you know, um, with uh, child protective services because they made a decision about their own, um, about treating their own kids yeah, and how and they he, were going to raise their own children.
0: And, and thank God for Lenore, because I think she's, she's, like, she's honestly like the best public servant we have out there in terms of reassuring moms. You know, I, I wrote about my own experience with that being ch- being chided by a an FBI agent who was in the parking right. lot of my local grocery store. And, and, and I I laughed because the first person I called was not my husband after this man yelled at me it was Lenore. I, <laughs> I was, Absolutely, I, I was, right. I was, right, right. I was you have your one phone call. It's going to be to <laughs>
1: Lenore Skenazy <laughs> if you get into so, this kind of trouble. I
0: mean, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I've talked to other moms who say the first thing they do is check her website or write her an email because she's become this, sort of the patron saint of, of all like yes. baffled yes. mothers. She's a clearing me. house. She yes. is, she is. That's so right. so I, I share with you I'm 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 quite the fan of hers as well and thank God for her. And you know, one thing that I think that you I think it's so critical though that you point out that these sorts of issues happen even before the kids get to school or daycare, right? Even moments, right? You know, right in the, in right. the very first moments that you you've had your first child, right? And and this happened right. to me. Yeah, you know, it happened. Of course, it happened to you. Um, a new mom will face this sort of government pressure, and, and you know when I say government right. pressure, it comes in it comes in different forms. Like in this case, it was like the nurse, right, who works at the hospital, and like she's right. following like state procedures, right, that say that women now have pressure to breastfeed or not breastfeed. So, you know, you dedicate a chapter of this in your book, um, you you know, and and I want you to talk about why you think this issue, like, again, like from the very beginning, you know, why this fits into your book's theme. Why do you think this is an issue on the breastfeeding issue that's critical for women to understand it, particularly women who might be pregnant or, you know, because I I think sometimes people look at these books, you know, whether it's Lenore's book on free-range kids or you're not, no children left alone or you know, many other books that are written on this and they think, oh, well, this is, you know, I don't need to read this because it's a kid. But but look, I think women even considering having children need to understand this. So tell me a little bit about the breastfeeding issue. So, so, the breastfeeding issue um,
1: was interesting to me because I was a f- uh, formula feeder. I had trouble breastfeeding and i I ended up um, formula feeding my daughter. but I could see culturally that there's a real especially um, amongst a certain set of women uh, in uh, you know that that breastfeeding had become sort of a mantra of this is how you raise a healthy child and um, one of the things that i um, that I emphasize in the book, um, we were talking about Lenore skenezi about this issue of independence and raising independent children. When it comes to this issue of formula feeding versus breastfeeding, I found uh as I did in all of these areas of life, there are parents people who have become real advocates for themselves and for others about the particular issue that they have come into contact with. And for me, what I discovered was on breastfeeding, a woman by the name of Suzanne Barston, who wrote a book called Bottled Up, was an, became an advocate for this kind of um refusing to bow to the pressure about breastfeeding. Now what happens in terms of the government is essentially the government now has its thumb on the scale for breastfeeding, as if breastfeeding is going to solve a whole bunch (laughs) of various problems, obesity, (laughs) asthma, um, uh, eczema, um, uh, and attention deficit disorder. Yeah. Right. So, um, so how this manifests itself is you can find it in, say, as you said, on a very basic level. You're in the hospital now, and a, a huge number of hospitals have, and I can certainly attest to this. I gave birth in 2007 for the first time, and then uh, the last time was in 2010. And uh, within that span of four years. Um, Abby, can I, interrupt were,
0: one, can I interrupt for sure. one second and just say four kids in four years? You officially. Well, are sorry, I, I got that
1: wrong. 2013, I apologize. Okay, okay, it's seven okay. years. I was, I was thinking to myself, that's not right. I have a child who's about to have a birthday. That's okay. why I was focused How on 2010.
0: I had I had my first child. I, I was good, I was honestly gonna send you flowers. Um I had my first child <laughs> I appreciate that. No, let me correct the record if I can we just yeah, yeah. go back. 2007, first... two thousand seven, twenty thirteen. Okay, okay, okay. Four kids I... four kids in
1: in in six years six a little over six years. So had, in that time
0: I had, three ki- I had three kids. I had three so kids. I had my first in 2007 and my last in 2010, and I had three kids, and people think that I'm a robot, like that I could produce three children. <laughs> right. so you're a baby like, oh, machine. Right, right, you're right. Even, yeah, you're right. even more. Of, okay, so go on. Let's no, go. no, no. So, yes, I have no twins, no Irish
1: twins. There are, there, uh, yes, I just got the dates wrong. You'll, you'll forgive me. Um, so, so in that time, um, in that time, Whereas when I first gave birth, there was, um, there were lactation, there was lactation consultation available at the hospital, but there were also like swag bags of formula. Right,
0: right. Um,
1: By the, by the last child, um, by the last child, absolutely no free formula.
0: Unbelievable.
1: And, and, um, and one of so the government so that goes to like uh hospitals right there are public yeah. run hospitals mike bloomberg made a big deal about the fact right. that he was putting formula under lock and key okay. at public hospitals yes oh yes it's it's under lock and key and actually this is another thing that i discovered when i did the research each time some of these subjects come up people who ordinarily would say well, I don't understand why you would say there's too much government intervention, right? They don't necessarily, that isn't intuitive to them, right? Right, uh, right, But then you say to them, well, what about, you know, hospitals in New York City that have put formula under lock and key like it's Percocet? right, like the same way that you have to get a prescription, right, exactly, right, the same way you have to get pain relief, right, (laughs) prescription pain relief (laughs) is under lock and key, and they have to make sure that you're not, like, going to OD on the Percocet after giving birth, (laughs) same way, uh, same way (laughs) they're putting the formula, because God forbid you should, oh, you know, you should be, like, you know, addicted to the the formula, right, Right, so, um, but uh, so, so that's at the city and state level, right? There are cities like New York and Philadelphia. There are states that have, um, they want to get, uh, the, the, the World Health Organization has come up with this whole formulation of the baby, you know, friendly hospital as if, places where, you know, maternity wards weren't baby friendly in the first place. So yeah. now they're, you know, that now and and the definition of being baby friendly is to encourage or pressure women to breastfeed. Then you have WIC. That is uh like food it's a program, government program like food stamps, but it's particularly for women um having babies. And the WIC program now um, will give you um Longer food benefits if you breastfeed,
0: wow, right? Wow. Versus
1: if you now, it is also providing. By the way, uh, low cost or even free formula. That was historically what it did, because right. the idea was that these the women it was providing this formula to were not going to be breastfeeding. Now everything has gone 180 degrees, and the idea is that we have to try and work very hard to get all women. On the breast, basically, you know, uh, to get you know, their babies on the breast.
0: It, it's fascinating. You know, I breastfed all my babies, but I have to say, like, gosh, you know, I mean, there, look, there's benefits to both. I don't want to say I don't want right. to be like like one is so much better because I think in some ways, you know, not having a million bottles to clean was kind of because I'm like that's that's obviously like keeping keeping things tidy is right. a challenge for me, and so I was like, oh, thank God, no bottles to clean, less less like dishes. Right. Um, but then, but then also, I mean, I, you know, I had to sit, like I had to sit down and like I couldn't, I right. you know, it was like, it's like a pain in the butt. And so and I know you, have to, well, you also like early when they can't hold their own bottle, you have to sit down when you're bottle feeding. But anyway, so... There's but here's the thing, thing is- Julie.
1: You and you and I having this conversation, like we can have right. this conversation and say, right. and you could say to me, Abby, I really think breastfeeding is much better. Or I could say to you, Julie, right. the bottles are nothing compared to the fact that I could hand the baby off to my husband right. and he could right. baby red breast. You know, he he could feed the baby. you right. But again, here's the thing. Why does the government exactly. have an opinion? Right. That's the problem I have. Like I don't right. think the government should have an opinion. And and, and-, and- WIC and the hospitals aren't the only places where the government has an opinion. So Obamacare,
0: sorry, go. no no, I was going to say what's also fascinating though is that the government contradicts itself, which oh, I know, shock, 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 <laughs> but they they um they contradict themselves. So I write a lot and I want to talk about this briefly um, uh, if we have time because we could just talk about the breastfeeding issue for hours, but um but right. if, if but like when you when you when you write on the school lunch program, okay, the government like right. when they def- when they when they talk about this, they say these the the, the demographic that this is geared towards, which is just poor kids, which we know is mostly single parent families, okay. Right. But they, they say like these parents are too busy to feed their kids, right? They can't like right. the lunch, which I think it's like it's such a a horrible thing to say. Like yes, slapping a piece of turkey between two pieces of bread is really difficult. It takes so long, right? right? Right. But, so, so like you know, dumbing down expectations. But then they right. expect right. poor women who have like, because they always say like they have four jobs, they expect them to be like be home and breastfeeding their children. Like that. That right. apparently, well, that apparently, poor women have like that are on WIC. They have time to do that, but they don't have time right. to make their kids a lunch. I mean, the kind. Right. Well, it, I it think that this is exactly. Yes, I mean this is exactly
1: a problem that runs through all of these issues because, as you mentioned, the school lunch program. So, um, so there, you're absolutely right. You're, you're, it's, it's not only a matter of time. Like the government saying the people were trying to help. I mean, this is really it's all about. So the government saying we're trying to help right we're right. trying to protect we're trying to support right. and um so uh i agree with you entirely that this is a complete contradiction right and and it's right. also a very good it's also a question that i think um we don't talk about right the basis of saying the basis of WIC, right, and um, and food stamps in general, I mean we we want and, and and not even government support, the safety net support, but in general, right? We think that women we think the fact that women entered the workforce en masse um, is a good thing, right? Capital right. G, good thing. Right. So we, But we don't actually say there are consequences to that, right? We don't actually, as a society, say, okay, if we want to make it as fair and equitable and easy as possible for women to work as much as men work, well, then we have to actually have government policies that support that theory. Right. Right. And and you're absolutely right. The government policies do not support that theory. Um uh and I think also the question of breastfeeding and the school lunch program goes to another point that I try to make in the in the book, which is a the government um you know, the control issue is very important, right? We have a one size fits all solution and we're gonna impose it on everybody. Right. Right. And then the other part of it is this notion that just because people are in a lower, um, are, are, are poor, or are, are the working oh. poor, or are in a more disadvantaged economic position, they can't be trusted. They I mean, this is the part that I find, right? I yeah. find very, um, and, and this is the part that I think is also very important. It's really important to understand that what we're talking about is not just happening to one segment of the American population, right? It's not just happening to uh, white women in Northwest Washington. It's not just happening uh, in, in the cities versus, versus uh, urban or suburban areas, er- versus rural or suburban areas. It's really happening across the board. It happens to single mothers it happens to two-parent families it happens to fathers it happens to mothers and that's really why i wanted to highlight um not only the problem but all of the parents who i have dubbed captain mommies and captain daddies who are really trying to fight you know they they sort of get mugged by reality right they may not think of themselves as um as advocates for themselves or anybody else. They may not even think of themselves as being very different parents from anybody else. But right. then this thing happens to them where they come into contact with some rule, some situation. You know, the, the school uh, bans or lowers, reduces the amount of recess, right? It's the right. school uh, comes and says, you can't do cartwheels on the playground, right um the playground has a sign no running or they take out the swings um the um or there's no sledding right uh then right. you get people who uh who otherwise you know think of themselves as law abiding or they don't think of themselves as 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 real re- rebels and they say wait a minute this right. is this is my decision, and and it's right. also one of the things that I found um, so interesting about doing the research for this book is that really you're talking about a whole swath of people across America who, when this encounter happens, find themselves on the wrong side of of the law, really. Right,
0: right, right. And you know, it, it's I want to talk a little bit about these. Just expand a little bit on these unintended consequences with you know with with these programs and um you know what frustrates me is that again you know let, let's talk about the, in, the when when we talk about unintended consequences let's talk first about the the intentions like, what was the intention? And the intention of the school lunch program, for instance, you know, uh, you know, was to, to give kids who live are living in very dire circumstances, you know, the original right. intention of it, like in the 1950s. Now, the school lunch program goes way back to the Depression. They, they were, you know, kind of shuffling around commodities to schools to, to provide kids with a meal, but it wasn't really authorized, officially authorized as a government program until the 50s. But, you know, when it was authorized, you know, it, it was supposed to serve the poorest kids, right, to give them one solid meal a day. Right, and who can object to this? Right, who can say like, okay, well, there really is this need. It's sort of a safety net. Like, there's a need. There's a definite need. And I think for Absolutely. a lot of, I, I think for a lot of people like us that are sort of critical of big government programs, like, you know, there's sort of a misunderstanding. Like, we're not saying that let's do away with it entirely, but like, let's return right. it to its original intention. Because what's so right. frustrating is is that it expands, it expands, it expands. So they they, they right. it used to be just directed towards the poorest of the poor, the really the kids who really desperately needed it, and and then before you know it, right. You've got 30 million kids every single day that are eating school meals, and almost a third of those pay full price. In other words, they don't qualify, which means that they, right. they don't live even close to the. They're, they're like, I always call these kids the ones whose parents want to hit the snooze button a couple extra times because they don't want to make right. a meal. And and look, I make three meals in the morning. You make four. Like it's it's like it's kind of a pain in the butt, but you do it right. Right. And so you well, go, here's the
1: thing. I mean, I think I think that the other thing that's that's problematic, and I totally agree with you. The 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 reason. Um, the reason that these were initially instituted um, were very good reasons yeah. because there was real deprivation, right? right. You real there was real hunger, um, starvation. As I've, there was starvation and deprivation, and you really and and, and 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 this is something that the government does well because it says, "Look, we have access." Right? right? They're in schools. So we have them in the school, right. and we're just going to add this element that really is very important. Now, what it's come to mean, though, is that the National School Lunch Program now, because of the risk factors of a percent of a percent of the population of school kids, now puts every school child on a restricted calorie diet. Right Now, not every kid is on, uh, is at risk for these, um, these health crises right. that the school lunch program is trying to solve, right? right? But it does have to follow a very broad model of a, what is a healthy diet. Right. So, um, so as a result, you've got a lot of kids who probably shouldn't be eating this kind of a diet for a variety of reasons, right? If you're a school athlete, you actually need more calories. You need more carbs. If you are other children actually need more fat and the government is really against fat. Now, this would not, of course, it wouldn't be a problem if there didn't need to be one diet for everybody, Right. 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 Um, right. And so this is really, you know, the 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 Native American population in this country, which is which um, many of the children are on are on government benefits and programs like WIC, like food stamps. Unfortunately, that is the reality. Um, There's a huge incidence of lactose intolerance in the in the Native American population, but there's a mandate for milk. Yeah. Right, yeah. whether it's lo- yeah, there's for cows' milk yeah. in these government programs, and right. and here's another complication: the government is trying to balance its um, is trying to balance the services it's providing, yeah. right, the school lunches, with its need to intervene economically in um, agriculture, right. So right. the U.S. Right. Department of Agriculture has has very different competing interests at work, they want to maintain dairy prices. They want to maintain the cattle, um, you know, cattle and meat prices because these industries are very large and they also are, you know, they are also sort of uh, plugged into the government system. Pork. And as a result, they, or, and pork. So as a result, look at what happened. The, the USDA, if there's a problem, a couple of years ago, there was a huge drought, and the cattle farmers were saying, we're going to lose our herds, and we are not going to be able to, you know, the, the, the market is going to just drop, the, the, the bottom is going to drop out of the market. And so the USDA set, came along and said, okay, we're going to buy up all of the meat. But right. guess who gets it?
0: Right. The schools, right? Because right. they've got to distribute it, right? Right? I am so glad I'm so, um, glad, you then, brought, I'm, I'm so yeah. glad that you brought I'm so glad that you brought this up and like sort of other industries that sort of weigh in on this and impact this. I mean, ultimately parents and children are affected, but really it's more than just it's not just the government that's kind of creating these things, industry is also a part of this, but the other side of it, and I'm going to switch gears a little bit and take it away from the subject a little bit away from parents and kids and talk a little bit more about industry And um, because I, 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 one thing I really appreciated about your book is that um, you know, you talk about the nannying's effect on business. You talk a bit about this in your book specifically. You talk about the Consumer Product Safety Commission, right? Which is this agency right. which nobody seems to know exists, right? I love because I also write, as you know, I write on um things like GMOs and I write on products yes. safety, like chemicals and preservatives in food and chemicals that make products more durable. And there's right. all this you know, and you hear the environmentalists all like wring their hands and say, Oh my gosh, these chemicals and these products and everybody's going to be poisoned and I say, You know, Yes, please, you've do
1: done you amazing to- work on pink Whoa. slime <laughs> on the on the <laughs>
0: Yes, I am I am pro pink slime I can I can like yes my, I'm very proud of that um but I but I will I will I will tell you but that, that people seem to think that like their local CVS and their local Safeway is just a wild west that uh, that a business can put something on the shelf. It can be. It's like um. It's like Homer Simpson. You know how he puts the radium rod in his right. pocket and goes home. Right. Like, like walks home, really, right. home. Right. And goes home. Right. Like people think you can do that. That you can put something that like literally is leaking toxins into the store aisle, and nobody's right. going to stop them. There's no regulatory architecture there that like protects consumers. And so I was right. interested that you brought up the CPSC. Um, but it's interesting. Okay, so again, the CPSC, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, is charged with overseeing products that are put in, mar- in the marketplace and to make sure um, that they're safe. But they also have the authority to pull products off the store shelves. But what's ho- So this right. is all good, right? Great, great. There's this agency there that keeps us all safe. But it's gotten absolutely absurd, the types of recalls that they have requested. Right. And again, part of it is they're being pressured to do so. But Tell me a little bit. I'd love to, for you to just give our listeners a couple examples of some of the absurd things that they pulled off the shelves. And then if you can also, I know that, that you recently wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal about this as well, about an Ikea dresser that got pulled off the shelf. An Ikea dresser that right now is in the next room over from me in my children's room. Um, yes, so yes. If you can it, talk, talk a little bit about this agency, what it does, and, and what kind of the absurd actions we've seen out of the agency recently. Uh, I'd love to. So, so uh,
1: again, um, much like the school lunch program, this is another agency. It was set up in 1972, and, and the idea sounds terrific, right? They're supposed to be um, protecting consumers, that is, informing consumers about unreasonable hazards or unreasonable um, safety concerns that might lead to injury or death. Right. So uh, initially, you were talking about a very small, relatively small agency that's now got a much um, uh, that's the budget has ballooned, and its mandate has ballooned. And this happens in a lot of um, in a lot of government agencies where the bureaucracy sort of um, it seems like it's as if it's organically expanding, um, and one of the ways that it does that is to expand its mandate. So now, um, so. So there were certain there are certain things that you can think of and say oh the, the CPSC does a great thing like um concerns about lead right um so something they did uh last year which was I think a very good thing was there's a shipment of toys from China and they found that the levels of lead in these toys in the paint um were too high because the Um, standards, if there are standards in other countries, are going to be different than ours and they said, you know, the toys are not coming into the U.S. Okay, great Um, but here's the thing they, uh, the same year last year, they recalled um, nearly 200,000 teething toys shaped like a monkey because the tail of the monkey could cause a child to gag right, or choke Potentially. That was the thing. Now, here's the thing. Nobody, there were no injuries reported with this toy. (laughs) This is, right. And I'm thinking to myself at the time, I was like, hold up, my baby sticks his fingers down his throat. Like, he he, he also gags on his hand. Like, uh, are, are we going to ban the hand? Like, they're going to ban his hand. Like, I I just found it sort of, like, ridiculous, right? Um, then there was a bicycle last year that they took off the market, a small number that they said, you know, like, but but you got to think, like, if they're taking this, you know, 100 or 500 bicycles off the market, how many do you think the company made, right? Like, the company is, is you know, you're, you're trying to get a bicycle, a kid's bicycle off the ground. You make, you know, you have the money to make a few hundred. Then the government comes along and says, no, 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 you're pu- they're gone. Why? Because the handlebars could become unstable, and a child could fall, you know, from if the handlebars become unstable. Did... The handlebars become unstable. Did a child fall? Did someone call the Consumer Product Safety Commission and say, my kid got hurt? No. Nothing, no. No. right? And this is the part that I, that I find, um, that I found so amazing about uh, reading. And, and here's the thing, it's like an anxiety factory over there at the <laughs> Consumer Product Safety Commission because they send out weekly recalls. And I got a sister-in-law who when her children were younger, I, I, pleased, I hope she's not reading them anymore, but she used to send me, like she would contact me, forward me this email. It's really... Um, It's really amazing how many ways the government manifests itself as the worst helicopter parent in America, because this is really the thing. We've now sort of turned the corner, I really think we have, on this idea that parents should be overprotective, right? We see that there's harm that comes from saying, your children can't do this, and your children can't do that, and don't go here, and don't go there, right? But the government is worse than any parent in America, because it says... The bicycle handlebars could become loose, and then it would become unstable, and then the bicycle could cause the child to fall, and there might be an injury. When none of this has not has ever happened, yeah. Um, and and this is where I say, what? How is it the government's business? How is this an unreasonable risk? Right? How is that an unreasonable risk of a product?
0: And how? and. And the results are that the companies have to swallow the costs. I, I want I want you to t- I want you to expand a little bit on that. I think you touched on something that's so so important that this is changing us culturally. That. Right. You know, we kind of—I la- mean, I've been—I've been hysterical listening to you. It's so funny about it, 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 my my children sticks his hands down his throat, you know, and like, should we cut his hands off? Like, because this could be a danger. I mean, you know, I wrote in my book—I—I I, I wrote a book on similar subject. I touched on helicopter parenting, Absolutely. and I talked about how you know you have like you have uh, this this um, uh, this uh, pressure to put labels on every kind of food, right? Like, so hot dogs, like. We, there was a pre, there was pressure from a pediatric association saying like you should you should put, there should be a warning label that it could choke and like and even on grapes and anything that's sort of the size of an esophagus right and i was like right. what hap- what happened to like you know parents cutting things up or actually chewing like telling a child like teach yes. teaching like, t- your children how to chew yes yeah, yes like these, chewing is, is important like, yeah. chewing used to be like this was the guarantee that you did not choke right so choke. I, mean, yes. I i don't I, like what happened right and so I do honestly right. think we are becoming. You know how there's these, these articles out there that talk about how technology makes you more dumb, and it's true. Like I now cannot get to certain places without my iPhone because the map. I need the map. I, I right. Right. Sort of I, I like have, I have a I have a I have a
1: cousin who's um, who's dependent on Waze. She says right, that's right. the app that's changed her yes. life. So yes, yes I yes, totally get I, that.
0: Yes, and and uh, and like people don't memorize phone numbers. I I I make myself memorize phone numbers because I'm terrified of like being without like my iPhone and not having phone numbers. So you know, I think it's interesting, I think this is kind of a, there is a similar phenomenon going on where parents have become sort of incapable of doing certain things, or things seem harder. I mean, do you agree with that? Are we, like, what impact has this had on our society as people? Are we more reliant on the government? Just tell me, give me kind of a sense of that. My feeling
1: is that um, the part that we don't, you know, Jennifer Senior wrote this really um, amazing book called "All All um, All Joy and No Fun," yeah. um, uh, and and Hannah Rosen at The Atlantic has also written about these these issues. Uh, yeah. When she wrote about playgrounds and playground right. safety, um, and they um, they both hit on something that I think is very important, and which you're describing, which is that um, um, the level of anxiety among parents about doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing is, is really out of control. Um, and truthfully, you know, it's, it's a struggle in, in, in my, for myself and I think for most parents that I know not to worry too much, right, um, and not to be overly concerned um, about possible dangers um, you know lenore also talks about this that we that we have worst first thinking right yes. that we assume the worst is going to happen right. just because we are we think we know what the possibilities are but we don't right. know what the probabilities are and this right. is the thing that i think makes these government sort of mandates worse because we think all right so maybe i have crazy anxieties all right but we're talking about the government, right? They're supposed to be cool and collected and very rational and scientifically based, right? We're assuming that there's some kind of scientific or... Um, very objective analysis that went into the decision to say the IKEA dresser is a hazard like is going to kill you right, right. it 's going to kill your kid now Unfortunately, there actually were children killed because the dressers collapsed on top of them yeah, yeah. absolutely tragic and as I write in the piece um, in in the in the journal i I wrote about the fact that this actually happened to us my my, uh, my six-year-old had the drawers of her dresser, her Ikea dresser, pulled out more than one of them, and it was unstable, and she pulled on one of the drawers, and it collapsed forward. Uh, it fell forward. Now, she was six, and she's nimble, and she, thank God, jumped out of the way, and it was just a very horrible sound and, um, and very, very scary. But we were extremely lucky. Um, but guess what? I didn't, I didn't throw out the dresser. Right. um i we we turned to my daughter and we said okay you this this became unstable because it was misused right? right and and you and you use it as a teachable moment i mean thank god right, we right. were able to do that right well and I also think and also the, go- Abby, the government can't do that the government I, doesn't do that the government it, it just says no 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 we're going to we're going to um we're going to say it's this, we have to protect the children and in and in, in in so far as they think that's even possible right in every case they enact rules to say, well, you know, I don't. The the consequences of this decision that it might hurt uh, a private business, that it might actually not prevent any harm coming. You know, it might not prevent anything. is seems right. irrelevant. So the cost right, right. there's no cost benefit analysis, which I think right. every parent does, and and you come down on the you know on the whether the risk reward balance is worth it to you in every given situation right but you the know, government can't can't do that they just make a one a one size policy and then right. it's it's once it's implemented the consequences you know they could be very far reaching and for some companies like ikea that they can recall 36 million dressers um Right, well, they may be able to to swallow that economic I- impact, an, but there are there are many other companies that that cannot.
0: That can't. And there's additional there's an additional to, um, consequence to this, which is your daughter now knows that because let's face it, IKEA is not the only producer of dressers, right? There are many other right. um, and these are these are sort of you know for 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 like the person who's lived lived under a stone and doesn't know what IKEA is, but I mean there are certain segments of of the country that don't have ikeas ikea tends to produce like lower cost Furniture items. So it's great for kids. That's the point.
1: They're affordable.
0: They're they're affordable, and it's great for kids because you're you know if you have kids, you know that they break things and and you need to constantly replace things, and they get bigger, and you need bigger things, and so I love IKEA for that reason because you can go in, and get things that are affordable, and so um so but they're not the only producers of this, and you think about the lesson that your daughter now knows is that no matter who produces the, the dresser, um, right. You know, right. no matter what, there are other dressers. It just don't. Don't use a dresser in that way. Make sure that you're you're putting in one drawer while you pull another out. Now, I will tell right. you Abby, actually that also happened to me um, with my children. The exact same story. My kids were nimble; they jumped out of the way. It crashed. It scared them. We put brackets on the back. Now we we right. did the le- we looked at them and said. You can't ever use a dresser like this. You got it. We did the same thing, but then we took the right, added right. step of putting the brackets. We nailed it into the wall, essentially. But no, just like you said, no government person. There's not going to be a government person who shows up at your door and says, "Knock, knock, knock. I heard you had a dresser accident." We're going to put these brackets in the wall. The only well, it's not
1: only that. It's even worse than that. The fact is that that um, first of all, we're in terms of IKEA. Um, there was a there was a um, a spokesperson who said that this particular issue we haven't had in any other country. Why? Because they actually provide wall brackets with these Mm -hmm. dressers and in every other country where they're sold, people actually install them per the manufacturer's warning. Correctly. But here's the part that I have, I find really frustrating. So the consumer product safety commission, um, in, in many cases, we will actually work with the companies in, that they are targeting because they say, well, we're going to um, help you make this product safer by warning labels. Yes. How come it's the com- if, if the Consumer Product Safety Commission, that is the U.S. government, has said, all right, we're going to try this warning label. If the warning label fails why isn't it the Consumer Product Safety Commission's fault?
0: Right, right,
1: right. They are the ones who demanded the warning labels, and the warning labels failed, right? right? And this is exactly what happened in the case of the IKEA dresser. It happened in the case of the Bumbo, um, you know, a baby seat. these These are products that were on the market. The government said... Um, we need a we need a safety. We need a warning label. We need a dozen warning labels. It needs to be in this size type. It needs to be in this color, and then, you know, a, uh, an accident happens. And that's the other thing that we have to remember. These are all accidents. Nothing is intentional, right? Nothing happened that was meant to happen. Obviously, and yet terrible things happen. They're tragedies. Um, the question is, can the government actually reasonably prevent these accidents? And the answer is no. And as a result, it's actually, um, I would say, it, 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 it's in the interest of these agencies to manage expectations. And they don't seem able to do that, right? Their, their idea is, mac, is they're maximalists as opposed to being minimalists. And, um, and, that's a, and that's another problem because it sends a, a very different signal to parents, just as you were saying. Um, why should it be that, um, that reasonable people should need to go on a website from the Consumer Product Safety Commission to look up whether the teething toy they purchased for their baby is, quote-unquote, uh, a hazard or not? Right, right right you right. you you make your best guess and you right. you are not um and and within reason that's really the uh, this is something that i i quote um i quote uh uh philip howard a lot because he is uh an advocate for regulatory reform and this is something that um that we find a lot, that I found a lot going through this book, that in terms of the breastfeeding mandates, in terms of daycare regulations, in terms of uh, consumer product safety rules, uh, in terms of school uh, rules and playground safety, these regulations have costs and they become unreasonable, the regulations themselves have an unreasonable expectation of what it is to, to uh, what is safety and what is hygiene and what is health.
0: Uh, Abby, I have to say, I, I think you are so important, such an important, reasonable voice on this matter. It is absolutely critical that this be exposed that the right. the sort of culture of alarmism when it comes to parenting when it comes to raising kids be exposed and your book is is so, such an an important addition to i think a really important conversation that has been ongoing and and you have Thank really you. i i i have to say i'm, I'm kind of we, we, i i know that we could go on and on about this um but we i do have to wrap this up but i will tell you look to anyone listening We haven't even touched the surface of Abby's book. She goes on to talk about specific school statistics that there have been some regulations put in place that are really, really harming our kids. She talks about the war on fun. I think this is one of the most important uh, chapters of the book because, look, we forget many times. You know, I talk about this stuff. Abby talks about this. We mentioned Lenore. We talked about many other writers that, that write on this stuff. And what is so often we talk about the economic costs and how it's making kids sicker and how it's making you know parents more frustrated. But what we what we talk what we often forget is that it makes parenting harder. It makes it less yes. joyful. You know, we wonder why we have plummeting birth rates in this country. It's because who wants to be a parent when it is right. it's no fun? Um, so Abby talks about that. She talks about the obesity police. I mean. This is a really scary topic. You know, we have we have we have several problems in this country and one of them, you know, and 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 uh, you know, there 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 are many many tentacles of this issue, but you know, right. obesity uh, obesity is certainly something that we shouldn't deny is a problem, but uh, are the government programs ma- really making it better? I think I would I would contend and certainly, is as, as many of these programs are making it worse. So so right. I, I I cannot recommend. I want to say the name of the book again, No Child Left Alone: Getting the Government Out of Parenting. Um, Abby, where I know the book comes out in August. Where can people find your book when it comes out? Well, so you can,
1: um order the book from Amazon. You can order the book from Barnes and Noble. These are, uh, online. If you go to my website, which is dot com, you can get a link to ordering the book there. And, um, and I, I'm sure it'll be, I'm looking forward to seeing it in, uh, actual bricks and mortars bookstores (laughs) as well. So, um, so that'll be um, so. Great. Those are the easiest places: either Amazon okay, or BarnesandNoble.com or CaptainMommy.com.
0: Well, I have to say too, in the introduction, I feel really bad. I did not mention that Abby is also a senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum. So we also post all of her writing. So it's a good place. Sort of a a collection of her writing is also there at IWF.org. Um, so check check it out there, and we will also have links to her book there. Um, and, again, her own website. Um, and, and, Abby, um, I mentioned some of the writings, that, uh, some of the magazines that you publish in. If you can just tell people, again, some of the places that you publish, sure. they can also tell sure. you. Sure. I, um,
1: I often, um, my stuff is found at the Weekly Standard, um, at the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, uh, the Wall Street Journal, at Reason, and also the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, where, I'm in, uh, where I've am written uh, political commentary. And you also write great stuff for Acculturated, which I I love. And Acculturated, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. um, Yeah, that's that's the fun stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Abby, honestly, I don't really want to hang out. I don't want to hang up. Hang up. I want to keep hanging out. And honestly, I can't believe this is my job to talk about this because I have so enjoyed this podcast probably most Me ever. It's, it's been a really great conversation. And, again, um, to everyone listening, please, please um, make sure to check out Abby. Don't check it out. Buy it. Yeah, please. A, uh, purchase is consent, Julie. Purchase I, is consent. <laughs> the purchase. And also, I will tell you, like, it's a really a good book. For new parents, so if you, are, right. uh, if you know someone who is, 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 on, is thinking about it or is pregnant, I think this is an excellent book, particularly for a baby shower. Also, look, it's coming out right before school starts, so if you want to... Yeah, that, so for the next school
1: year, yes. 100%, that would be, yes. that, I think, uh, get yourself prepared.
0: I think all parents should, should, should take this as a, should use this book as a refresher course and how um, the government will try to tell you what to do. Abby, again, thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you, Julie. Well, this has been another edition of IWF's Working for Women podcast. For those who listen, thanks for your time. You can find out more about this topic and many more at IWF.org. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.